People of the world, it's the Brothers Talk family with your hosts, Rod, Scott, and Norm. Join us each Friday wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts or on our website to hear us three black, unfiltered African-American men with no strings attached, giving voice to the most feared, most misunderstood, and most rarely heard from segment of the population on topics of interest to us for education, enlightenment, and entertainment. You can reach us with your comments, questions, and suggestions at The Brothers Talk on Twitter, The Brothers Talk on Instagram, and the Facebook group of the same name. And also follow us on Facebook. And if you want to share in more detail, hit us up at the email address, thebrotherstalk at gmail.com. Stay tuned for our soon-to-launch YouTube channel, and now on with this week's show. Hey, big what is up to the Worldwide Brothers Talk family, wherever you are in the car, the gym, the den, the kitchen, the barber beauty shop, in the backyard, on the corner, wherever you hold your relevant conversations to spur critical thinking and activism to support the Black community. We always welcome our first-time listeners as you join us in keeping the fight going to lift up the critical thought process with enlightened conversations while promoting new and existing Black business opportunities to empower and enrich our community. This week in coronavirus, if you haven't been keeping track, there's been a one-third upsurge in COVID-19 cases in England. And if you didn't know it throughout the pandemic, wherever that trend has been in England has been a precursor to what happens over here. They're saying that the increase in infections that have resulted in hospitalizations has been coupled with an increase in flu cases as well. So it's no secret to us that this is happening because way back in April and May, they were predicting a serious new outbreak of cases this fall and winter. And that was even before they relaxed all the guidelines, including no testing for people entering this country on the airlines. So we implore you to please take the necessary precautions this season, avoiding people in situations where you might be exposed. Also, get that Omicron-specific booster along with your vaccinations. Keep wearing your mask and don't get complacent and let your guard down as you go about your daily routine, regardless of what you see other folks doing. The holiday season is fast approaching, where plans are being formed to get together with loved ones, and we really can't spare any of our loved ones, especially those with advanced age and those with compromised immune systems. And now to my brothers in the struggle for critical thinking, Scott and Norm. Hey, family, as always, thank you for your continued support. We are always advocating for people to get vaccinated and wear your, wear your mask and do all those things to protect your love with yourself and your loved ones. But this thing is really getting serious because I saw on that note about England, they're getting ready for another shutdown. That's how bad it's gotten in England thus far. And as Rod mentioned, you know, we tend to follow that same trajectory, the same paths in England. So, People here are just beginning to get a little bit too relaxed to me. Uh, yesterday, I went to the store, and uh, I walked in there, and everybody looked at me, and I was wondering, why are people looking at me smiling like that? And then I realized I was the only person in there with a mask, and they was looking at me like they wanted to take my mask on, but take my mask off. But as I said, take care of yourself, be cautious, and protect your loved ones. Thanks, Scott. That's actually really good information. Remember during our last shutdown, you know, people were running short of supplies. So we may want to actually start getting together and preparing for the upcoming sh shutdown, which uh, looks like is pretty likely to happen. And where better else to get your supplies from Black-owned businesses? Our special guest for this edition is Jennifer Robinson, who's a member of the law enforcement community in Jacksonville, Florida. Who She's also Scott's niece, so that must make her our niece as well, since we're brothers out here. She's a 19-year police veteran with extensive community policing involvement, 
who served four years patrol, the streets doing 911 calls for service, seven years at Police Athletic League over basketball and summer camps, eight years in safety and prevention, police explorer, senior advisor, crossing guard supervisor, officer friendly and stranger danger officer for the elementary schools, and bullying and drugs in schools officer. Jennifer was Police Explorer National Advisor of the Year, and she also wants to share that she's a mother, daughter, and sister who is four years captain at Florida State University on the women's basketball team. She is the all-time assist leader at Florida State. She uh, was on the WNBA Orlando Miracle practice squad. She also was on the practice squad for the 96 gold medal women's Olympic basketball team. She's the Dougherty County all-time scoring leader. And if that weren't enough accolades for this Renaissance woman, she won the 2022 Jacksonville Image Award for educational excellence in the Black community. While being former high school uh, basketball coach for five years, coach of the year twice for the girls team, current assistant varsity boys basketball coach at Terry Parker High, a youth volunteer basketball coach, and she has plans to retire in 2024. Well, she will have run a well-worn path there. So, Jennifer, thank you so much for joining us. And we know you're probably even busier with Hurricane Ian having hit your area. So, first of all, how do you and your family fare? Actually, we fare pretty well, considering some of the things that I saw. Um, but thank you for um, having me on your show tonight. Um, but we did pretty well. Not No deaths here in Jacksonville, which is the main thing. So, everything else is just clean up and man-made things that we can all get again. That's great. So what is it like balancing all of your activities as well as being a Black woman in blue in a state known to offer some challenges for Black folk? Well, <laughs> that's an excellent question. And I like to say that it wasn't difficult early on in my career, but things took a downward spiral, I would say, with the George Floyd murder. After that occurred, being a Black officer became extremely difficult during that time and not only am I a black officer I'm also a female officer so that's two strikes against me to some people in the public and I'm a mother of a black son so it, it, it became extremely difficult um, after the George Floyd murder was the first time that I actually thought about retiring early due to all of the things that were going on um, in your department the streets the community not trusting you um, your, my own safety, I would say, as an officer um, here in Jacksonville, Florida, we take our patrol vehicles home and our names are also on our patrol vehicles. So you could park next to me. You could see me at a red light and you automatically know who I am because my name is on the vehicle and I park my car. We drive our cars home. We don't leave our cars at a substation or a police station. So getting followed having stalkers, which I have had prior to George Floyd, but things like that, it just escalated. Um, your brothers and sisters out here who aren't brothers in blue, calling you a sellout, thinking you're a sellout, but you have to think about your family, my son, how's he being treated because I'm a police officer. So it was very difficult, but I fought through it. And I just told myself that if I did retire, people that look like me retire and leave the police department, then who's going to educate my people who are not here, who are in the streets, who are the people whose homes I'm going to to talk to, the kids that I'm going to 
when I speak to these people at schools, who's going to do that? And I can't leave that up to other people. It has to be us talking to us. So that helped my decision to stay as an officer. What would you say to people to strengthen the relationship between uh, law enforcement and the community at, at large, in particular, uh, the black community? Uh, what would you say to people who don't know the challenges that you're, you're dealing with, not just as a police, not just as a black police woman, African-American, but just a, a police officer in general? The community, especially the black community, and I understand it because I am an African-American first before I am an officer. So I do understand the discord, the things that are said about us, the things that have been done about us. We've had um, in the black community where certain leaders would want only African-Americans to service their communities. Um, they only want um, some people only want males to service their communities and in the black community, we just have to work with the police a little bit better. We have a lot of unsolved cases and we get a bad rap in our community that is, it seems that it's always drugs and violence and murder, but there are other things that are going on in our communities. We have human trafficking. That is a huge issue here. And it's not just black on black crime, human trafficking. Um, we have children that are kidnapped here. A lot of African-American kids, you know, they don't get the publicity when they come up missing or just teenagers or black women when they come up missing. Those are things that we deal with in the black community as well that doesn't get followed on the news. But in the community, the black community, you all have heard the word snitching. That is, we see it on TV and we see it on these movies, but that is real. When we go into these communities and we're trying to solve these crimes, we're not getting help from the community 90% of the time. And then it's like six in one hand, half a dozen in the other. If I don't solve it, I don't care about you and your community. But if you don't help me solve it, now what are we going to do? So that is, that's kind of the trick bag. Just getting help when we need help and working together. What kind of racism and sexism have you experienced from your own department? Well... <laughs> I don't want to go into too much detail because I do want to keep my pension, <laughs> but I have, I've experienced more racism actually on the beat from the community than I have with my department. Actually. Um, I've gone on calls where I've had a white man tell me he doesn't want a colored colored officer. Wow. I felt like it was in the fifties or the sixties. He doesn't want a colored officer handling his call. And I've got most of the time with us, though, as females, it's more about being a female than race. Um, we, they don't think we can do the job and they don't understand that being a female officer, it's not about brute strength. All people think about with police is we have to be tough and we have to be able to fight. But a female is more nurturing. So I can get to a call and I can have the gift of gab and could probably talk someone into the backseat of my car. Whereas a man is going to come and we're going to be fighting. So it's a difference. So I haven't seen a lot of racism with my department, you know, sprinkle here or there, nothing out of the norm with society, but mostly it's more of a female being a female than race. So Jennifer is a, a kind of like the double edged sword that we know that law enforcement, particularly 
black law enforcement, but law, just law enforcement in general. You know, we hear the comments all the time about the few bad apples. Mm -hmm. And as I said, uh, I've got a number of law enforcement folks in my family as well. And so glad to have you in that mix as well. And so how do you address the question that comes up that who is focusing on getting these bad apples out of there? Because it seems like, you know, whenever there are these cases that come up, you have all these issues like qualified immunity. And then you wonder, like, well, how serious are the prosecutors and really going after the bad apples because they have to work with the police and they don't want to be enemies with those of you who are in service. But it's got mm -hmm. to be a pretty tricky sort of, of, of feel to walk, almost like a minefield when you know you got these folks out there, because as you said before, they can make it probably as dangerous for you as anybody. Yes. And it's hard, especially working with the state attorney's office, because I understand that they have to have a good rapport with us and prosecuting police officers and not having us as um, witnesses in court. That could be a big deal. But I've noticed from all of these issues that we have with these bad apples that they had issues prior to that major event and that it's very rare if at all, that that major event was the first thing that they have ever done. So here, our previous sheriff was Mike Williams. He was a stickler about doing things the right way. And I would tell people, because um, sometimes I go into some high schools and I talk to some of our African-American teenagers and I just go over how to respond to police officers, what you should do if this happens, if they tell you this, if they stop you, this is what we're trying. This is what you need to do. This is what you need to do. And I tell them all the time, if you feel as if you have been treated badly, that you have the right to complain. And I think it goes sheriff to sheriff. And with our sheriff, if you complained on us, that was something that he really did take seriously. It wasn't a joke. It wasn't something that we just tell people, just go and complain, go and complain. He really did do something about it. So it eliminates, in my department, it eliminates a lot of these major incidents because he take he took care of it when it first began. You start getting these complaints on you. And now I'm seeing like Chauvin and these other people, it seems like they always had an issue, 20 or 30 complaints, and they've been written up before. So it's as, it's as if they need to have that taken care of early and to stop letting these so-called bad apples continue to be law enforcement because everybody can't do the job and that's fine and we have to understand that so what's been the most rewarding part of that job to you uh as a, as a law in law enforcement um children working with the children when i go into those schools and those children have been taught to hate me um you would not believe how many elementary school age children hate the police or are afraid of the police because their parents have taught them that they've taught them to hate me. They've taught them to be afraid of me. And I wish I could educate more parents on teaching their kids to be afraid of police. Cause I know you guys have heard where if a child gets in trouble, the first thing the parent says, if they see the police, I'm gonna have the police take you. They're going to put you in jail. You're talking to like a four or five year old kid. If the, and you know, so at four and five years old, you've taught me now to be afraid of a police officer because if I get in trouble, you're going to call the police on me and I'm five. So if I go missing, which I've had this happen to me where a kid has gone missing, he was so scared. He saw me and was so afraid of me 
because his parents had taught him over and over and over that I was the, I was the bad person. I was going to come and get him that he just could not come to me and tell me he was missing. He was that afraid of me to come to the police. So the most rewarding is going into those elementary schools and seeing those faces light up after I'm done with my presentation and hugging them and letting them come up and touch me and understand that I'm just a human. It just, it just changes everything for me. You know, you mentioned snitching before as a term that the, you know, the public uses in regards to helping the police. But why don't we see more police officers point out the bad apples amongst them? I think that we do point out the bad apples. The thing is, we don't go on the news and get interviewed doing it. But we do go to our superiors. We do go go over their heads if nothing is done. But, you know, you just mentioned Chauvin had like about 30 right. complaints. Once we do our complaint, because I've, I've worked with some officers that, you know, I could, uh, I don't want to, you know, say too much. But I've worked with some that probably should not have been out there. And we do complain on them. But like I said, it's not we don't go to CNN and we don't go on the news and make the complaint. We have to follow the channels, going to your superior, going over their head if nothing is done. And you just keep following up the chain, which we do do. And that's why they do have those complaints. So I really do think it's more up to your sheriff or your chief of police, because here in Duval County in Jacksonville, I'm both the sheriff and the police department. So I'm both. I'm a police officer and I'm a sheriff's deputy. We're both. We're consolidated here. So I think it's just going up your chain and how your chain of command handles it. And what do you do if your chain of command doesn't handle it? Because it's easy to say, oh, if I was a police, I would do this, 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 and this. But you have to remember, I we have families too. I need to take care of my family. I still have to have a job. I still have to do all these things. What am I going to do to get that word out to someone? Well, Officer Robinson, thank you so much for being our guest and please stay safe out there. And we will most certainly want you to come back again because obviously they're going to continue to be a number of issues that come up with that. It's great to have someone who is on both sides of the field who can talk to both the concerns as well as encourage others. Because one of the things we certainly recognize is we definitely need to get more of us in blue so that the some of the issues oh, yeah. out there can change so so our thanks again for your coming in and being a part of this week's episode and we look forward to talking with you again no problem thanks for having me guys in our black business spotlight meet robin rogers founder and ceo of four bebo that's the number four b-e-b-o an online directory that makes finding and supporting black owned businesses easy and free Robin, who grew up with seven siblings and a single mom on welfare, says that she quit her six-figure job working for a Fortune 500 company almost 20 years ago because she wanted to do all she could to help create and sustain more Black-owned businesses. After quitting her job, she assembled a team of Black professionals from across the country and immediately began building the platform. The pandemic, she says, made her realize that her sister's businesses that she's been running for seven years and her best friend's business for 20 years had the same obstacle. They needed to reach a broader audience. That inspired Robin to use her corporate skills, training, and abilities to focus on helping her own community instead of a corporation's bottom line. God has blessed me to understand that the best rewards come from helping others without asking for anything in return. That's a quote from Robin. 
for Debo, which is an abbreviation for four black entrepreneurs and business owners, is available to download for free from the Google Play Store and Apple's iOS App Store. Business owners can download the app and register their business for free. And shoppers are also encouraged to download the app to find and support Black-owned businesses both locally and nationwide. Forb Depot, which is based in Research Triangle Park, North Carolina, is more than just another directory of Black-owned businesses. Through the brand's social media pages and YouTube channel, entrepreneurs can also connect with each other for knowledge, support, and growth. To support the efforts, please visit its merch website at 4bbo.com and be sure to follow their Facebook page and Instagram. That's a wrap for another program, and God willing, we'll keep our focus on the issues that impact our community on the path to a better future. Don't forget you can follow and communicate with us, sending your comments, questions, and show ideas to The Brothers Talk on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, or email us, thebrotherstalk at gmail.com. Until the next episode, as always, we sincerely appreciate your time and interest and rest assured that we'll never take it or you for granted. And remember, let's do better today because that's all we really have.